Well, I'd like to invite you now to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, as we make our way through this letter, we come to verse 12, and so I'd like to begin reading there, uh, down to verse 26. So let us once again give ear to the reading of God's word, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Well, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you once again for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is living and active, and that as your word is proclaimed, you are speaking to us in the present tense. And so we pray that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would grant to us faith to believe all that is promised to us in the gospel, as well as hearts of gratitude for all that Christ has done. And we ask all this in his name. Amen. Well, beloved in the Lord, all the way back in chapter 11, the Apostle Paul began addressing the topic of orderly worship. How it is that the people of God ought to conduct themselves when they are gathered together as a church. And as we saw uh, uh, at the first part of chapter 12 last week, uh, church worship is spirit-led worship in the sense that it is the Holy Spirit, well actually it's the triune God, but primarily through the Holy Spirit, that each and every member of the church is given unique gifts A diversity of gifts is bestowed upon every member in the church, and thus the members are obligated to use those gifts for the common good. And this diversity in the midst of unity, one church with a diversity of gifts, is actually a reflection of the triune God himself. As Paul said in verses 4 through 6, there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit, a variety of service, but the same Lord, a variety of activities, but the same God. They're referencing Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
unity in diversity, the church reflecting the very nature of God. But we also see that unity in diversity reflected in the fact that the church is the body of Christ. And that's what the Apostle Paul deals with in our, in our passage today. He gives perhaps what might be his most elaborate and sustained treatment of the church being the body of Christ. This metaphor of the fact that we are like the members of Christ's body. And as we'll see, he has multiple applications for the various types of members within the church. And so when, I, when we use that word member, we're not talking about the fact that you're, say, a member of Trinity Presbyterian, but a member in the sense that we are the limbs and organs of Christ himself. And as I said, he uses this metaphor that the church is like a body that has many members, and yet it's not just a metaphor. It's not just a clever sermon illustration, but as we see in verse 12... It is more than that. As Paul says, for just as the body is one and has many members, boys and girls, if you look at yourself, you have hands and feet, you have eyes and ears, you have hair and knees and all these different parts of your body. And yet all of those various members, parts of your body are one because it's part of your one body. Well, so the the Apostle Paul says, in the same way that we have many members and yet one body, we would think that the Apostle Paul would say, so it is with the church. And yet that's not what he says in verse 12, is it? He says, so it is with Christ. You see, we are the body of Christ. It's not just a metaphor. We really are Christ's body. Now, not literally, Jesus, of course, has his own physical body, his glorified body, which is in heaven, which we will see when he returns. And yet, uh, even though we're not literally, physically the body of Christ, spiritually, and I might add covenantally, we really are his body. And since we are united to our covenant head by faith, we can truly say that he is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And of course, this is all made possible through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells in both Christ and in us. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who baptized uh, baptized us into this body. That's what Paul says in verse 13. It's the same Spirit who gifts us, who bestows a diversity of gifts upon us individually. That same Holy Spirit is the one, the agent, through whom we are baptized into the body of Christ. Now here, when he's speaking of baptism, he's, of course, referencing our water baptism, but he's also referencing the spiritual reality that that baptism points to, union with Christ and with one another. You see, it's the Holy Spirit who who brings about this spiritual reality in making us new creatures. And in this baptism by the Holy Spirit, the old distinctions of this world, the things that used to divide us and separate us, whether it's our ethnicity, as he references Jews and Greeks, or our social status, as he references slaves or free, all of those things that divide us in the world are eclipsed by our new identity in Christ. We're new creatures, and therefore we are united as members of the same body of Christ. And so in the same way, and yet even in a greater sense, in the same way that the Israelites were baptized into Moses in the sea and in the cloud, in the same way that they drank from the spiritual rock 
or from, they drink the spiritual drink which flowed from the rock in the wilderness. And as, Christ, as, as Paul tells us, that rock was Christ. In an even greater sense, we now drink that spiritual drink that Christ pours out, and yet it's not flowing from a physical rock, but that river of living water is flowing out of our heart. As Jesus promises us in John chapter 7, we draw from the rivers of living water that flow from within because Christ has given us his spirit in our baptism. And so Paul goes on to, uh, to describe not just the fact that we are one in Christ, our baptism through the power of the Holy Spirit uniting us together, but then he goes on to speak not just of the one, but of the many. In verse 14, he says, the body does not consist of one member, but many. And so here he's going he's gonna to focus on the diversity that we see within the church. Remember, God does not love or God hates division, but he loves diversity. Aren't we thankful that he hasn't made us all the same? He hasn't cloned us, but he's made us all diverse so that each and every one of us is a unique combination of gifts and graces that is unlike anyone else. And so that's the, that's the idea here of the many members that Paul begins to elaborate. And he, and he shows how it's important that each and every member does its part and recognizes its value. And he does so in a very clever way. He has the various members of the body speak. Now, boys and girls, we're able to speak out of our mouth, but in verse 15, the Apostle Paul has a foot talking. He says, if the foot should say, now that's just kind of silly on the surface, but what's even more silly is what the foot actually says. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to, I, or I do not belong to the body. See, we don't often think about our feet. We don't really see them all that much, especially if you wear shoes all the time. Our feet do something that the rest of our body would rather not do. They walk on the ground. And in the ancient world, as they wore sandals, they walked in the dust. In the ancient world, and even in many parts of the Middle East today, if, if you were to show the bottom of your foot, it's very offensive. The foot was considered dirty, the most vile thing in your body because you're trampling on the ground. It would do a, a mean, base task, and yet an essential task. Quite different than the hands. You see, the hands are always on display. The hands get the prominence because everyone can see it, and especially if you talk with your hands all the time like I do. Right? Your, your hands get, are in the limelight. Your feet are in the dust. And so if the foot should say, well, I'm not the hand. I don't get all that prominence. I don't get all that glory. Therefore, I'm not part of the body. Paul says, no, you're wrong. You are part of the body. Same thing with the ear. See, the ear is essential. It's necessary. And yet it's not quite like sight. It's not quite like the eye, which enables us to see. And so if the ear should say, well, you know, I'm not like the eye, and of course the Greeks would value sight over hearing, although scripture values hearing over seeing, because that's the organ of faith, the apostle Paul says, you still are valuable. You're still part of the body. You see, just because a part of the body serves a supposed uh, less important function or less prominent function, it doesn't make it any less part of of the body. 
And so this is important for us to hear, because perhaps you're here today and you feel like a foot or an ear. You feel like your service in the church goes unnoticed or unappreciated. Well, just because you may not serve a prominent role in the church, you need to know that that does not make you any less part of the body. You serve, each and every one of you serve, a vital function in the body of Christ. As we will see later on, you are indispensable to the body of Christ. And Paul goes on to explain that as he, as he says, look, if the whole body were an eye, and just picture that, boys and girls, just picture a giant eye. You can see really well, but you can't do anything else. Where would be the hearing? If the whole, uh, if, if the whole body uh, were an ear, you could hear, but you can't smell. You see, the Apostle Paul goes on to explain that every single member is necessary for a fully functioning body. Did you know that you're functioning right now? You know what part of the body that you're functioning, that's primarily functioning right now? Your ears. Now, if all of us were preachers, we would all preach, but there would be no one to, to, to listen. There would be no one... Uh, to listen with the ears of faith. And it's ultimately because God has arranged this. It's, it's ultimately God's sovereign plan and design to have each and every member serve its particular function. Just as he created Adam and Eve in the beginning with no one else giving him consultation, no one was standing there saying, oh God, why don't you put the ears here and why don't you put the nose here and why don't you put the feet here? No, according to his sovereign design, he formed and fashioned man out of the dust of the earth. So it is with the body of Christ. It's according to his sovereign will and good pleasure that you are not only in the church, universal, but that you are in this church right now. God has sovereignly placed you here so that you might be a living and vital member of this local manifestation of Christ's body. And so when we as individuals forsake the gathering of the saints, when we stay home from church, we not only rob ourselves of the means of grace, but we also deprive our fellow members of the gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to you. You see, Christ has given each and every one of us a gift, and with that gift is a call to use that gift as a good steward of the grace of God. And so if you decide, I don't think I'll go to church today, it's as if the body of Christ is missing an ear or foot, or hand. It's not a fully functioning body if you are not here. And as he he has given each and every one of his gifts so that we may use them, now perhaps here you're thinking, well, you know, I just don't know what my gift is. Well, remember from last week how it is that we find our gifts, how our gifts are recognized. We don't, come up, we don't come up with a list of gifts and stand in the mirror or lock ourselves in the closet and think, hmm, what is my gift? No, our gifts are recognized typically by others in their use. And so only when you are serving in the body of Christ are your gifts recognized and improved upon. And so if you sit at home by yourself and try to figure out what your gifts are, you will never find them out and you will never be able to use them. But if you get to work 
If you don't ask and you just get to work and serve the body, your gifts will be recognized and improved upon through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so that's important to keep in mind as well. And so Paul then goes on to reiterate his point in verses 19 and 20. If all were a single member, where would the body be? It wouldn't be. It would just be either a giant nose, a giant ear, a giant foot, but nothing else. It wouldn't be a fully functioning body. And so there is the one and the many. There's many parts and one body. Now, in the first part of our passage, the Apostle Paul addresses those who may not serve a prominent role in the church. Those who see themselves as the foot or the ear or the less prominent functions. And his message to them and to you today is that your service is just as necessary as any other member. You're just as vitally important for a fully functioning body. But now he'll address those who serve a more prominent position. So now it's, now it's the turn for the eye or the head to speak. And we see here in verse 21, the Apostle Paul warns those who serve a more prominent role in the church. Think of those who may have had the gift of prophecy or the gift of various languages or perhaps the the pastor teacher, those who kind of stand up in front or the leadership, those who have positions of, of authority or positions of prominence. Paul is now speaking to them. He says in verse 21 that I cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. You see, he warns them against having a superiority complex. He warns them against thinking, well, you know, I just do all the work. I don't need any of these other people. No. As a matter of fact, on the contrary, those members that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Imagine trying to walk without your little pinky toe. You know how much balance you get off of that little toe? Imagine trying to pick something up without any thumbs. Think of all of these various parts of our body. Some of the parts of the body which are so small and and, and weak. Think of the tongue. How small it is and yet how powerful and necessary it is. Or what about our vital organs? Think of living without a liver. But you can't. You see, Paul says these, these parts of the body that seem to be weaker aren't as prominent. They are actually indispensable. And he goes on to talk about our unpresentable parts. Boys and girls, we're all here. We're wearing clothes, right? There's parts of our body which we need to cover up. It's called modesty. It's important that we do that and because, uh, because uh, there's these, that's how God has made us, and we're supposed to clothe ourselves. And yet Paul goes on to say that these unpresentable parts are treated with greater honor. It's as if when we get dressed, we are, we are clothing, lavishing our bodies with glory and honor. Nakedness in the, in, the, in the biblical world equaled shame. If you were naked, it was, you, it was a shameful thing. And yet when you are properly clothed, you are bestowing honor and glory upon especially your unpresentable parts. Well, how, why is it this way? Well, because God has composed it this way. Look there in verse 20, the second half of verse 24. God has so composed the body. This is an interesting Greek word. It's used also in the context of those who would mix 
various colors together in order to create paint, taking the various pigments to create just the right color. And that's how God ultimately has has, uh, uh, created the church. This This composition is God's workmanship. Look around and see the various members here. This is not just a random assembly of people. I'm often surprised at the people that God brings through the doors here at Trinity Presbyterian, and, and even more surprised at those who decide to stick around and join the church. And yet you need to know that God has masterfully and creatively placed you here in this local manifestation of the body of Christ. And he has done it in such a way that those members who seem to not get all the honor and glory actually get more. See, God is very pleased to give greater honor to those who lack it. And, and, that's, uh, and, and Paul applies that not only with our bodies, or the fact that we put more honor and we give more care on those parts of our body which are weaker or unpresentable. That's how it is in the body of Christ. And ultimately, that's a reflection of the message of the cross. Going all the way back to the beginning of this book is the Apostle Paul uh, talked about the preaching of the cross and how it is that God is so pleased to take the wisdom of this world and turn it on its head. He says back in uh, chapter 1, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. If this is how God has created the church as a whole, then it's even more fitting that within the church, we don't automatically revert back to the ways of the world and assume a type of hierarchy where one person gets all the power on top and stands on the backs of others. No, that's not how it is in the kingdom of God. Actually, God takes that scheme and turns it on its head so that the weak, the low, the despised, the have-nots, those who are not prominent, the feet and the ears get more glory than the head or the eyes. Jesus taught his disciples that lesson. He had to teach it time and time again, and they really didn't get it until he poured out his spirit upon them. But he tells his disciples in John chapter 10, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the message of the cross. This is the word of the cross that we proclaim every time we take of the Lord's Supper, that, that, that is proclaimed every time the word is preached. That God takes the ways of the world, turns it on its head, so that we need to be, uh, we need to bestow honor upon those who lack it. And all of this, this sort of balancing out of honor and glory, is to the end, in verse 25, that there would be no division 
in the body of Christ. God loves diversity, but he hates division. And the church in Corinth was racked with division. They were divided over what type of preacher they liked. They were divided over the haves and have-nots. They were divided over the type of worship they liked to do. And yet the Apostle Paul says, no, that's not how it is in the body. That's not how it is in the body. Christ is not divided, neither should his body be. And so rather than being divided, each and every member should exercise care for one another. You know what we call a part of the body that lives only for itself? We call that cancer. And so the body, as each and every one of us as members, ought to have care for everyone else. And we, when we rec- and we can only do this when we recognize the indispensable nature of each and every member of the body. We recognize that each and every one of us here is part of the body of Christ and is vital for a fully functioning body. Can we give greater attention and honor to the parts that may lack it? So what does that look like? Well, Paul gives an example in verse 26. If one member suffers, the whole body suffers. I don't know how many of you have ever been trying to hammer a nail and you whack your finger instead. You know how bad that hurts? When you smash your fingernail and the pain that shoots through your nail, your whole body feels it. And what do you do with that finger? Well, you give it honor. You put it in your mouth. <laughs> you squeeze it. Oh, it hurts so bad, right? Well, that's how we are as the body of Christ. When one member suffers, the whole body suffers. And conversely, When one member gets honor, we don't get jealous. We don't think, well, they get honored. Where's my honor? No, we all rejoice. We all rejoice with one another. So we, we mourn with those who mourn. We weep with those who weep. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. Why? Because we're all one body. And that's Paul's point as he gives the big reveal. He's been talking about a body this whole time. And now in verse 27, he gives the reveal where, in verse, where he says, now you, now if we were reading in the Greek, we would know that that you is plural. You don't get it in English unless you're from the South, in which, you, in which case you would say, y'all. Now y'all are the body of Christ. That is, each and every one of you all together are one body. You are the body of Christ. And so what is true of the body is true of you because you are part of the body. Well, as we consider our passage in conclusion, whether you're a head or a foot, an eye or an ear, each and every one of you are indispensable for the functioning of the body of Christ. We are all vital members who have been given gifts, a diversity of gifts, a unique combination of the gifts. And, with, and yet, with that gift is the call to use it. May God grant us the grace to be able to utilize our gifts, to fan and to flame the gifts that God has given us so that we might encourage one another for the building up of the body of Christ. Amen? Let's give thanks. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, we do thank you for the gift of the Spirit who has baptized us into one body and obliterated those distinctions that the world has imposed upon us 
so that we are all new creatures in you. Thank you for the unity that you have brought together. And so, Lord, we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would strive towards greater unity and that we would seek to use our gifts to grow in our graces, not just for our own benefit, but for the good of those around us. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.